Hello everyone. I hope you are doing well. We are back with another episode of Blitz Business. I hope you will enjoy this podcast. Hi Adam, thank you so much for coming over to Blitz Business. It's a pleasure to have you. Hi, thanks Ashish. Good to, good to be here. Great. So Adam, uh I was going through your profile very interesting. Uh, uh you started quite uh early in the startup or as i can say in the your entrepreneur journey so tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll talk about your venture uh yeah 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 i, I guess i could start uh, you know when i was a lot younger uh my family took us on a trip uh around the world my dad was able to actually work through a laptop it was in the late 90s and we traveled to about i think somewhere around 40 different countries so uh quite a journey it really opened up my eyes to the world you know uh 1998 i was actually in india uh, where we're now conducting business and and anyway so that that kind of started me off on this thirst for traveling and uh i think maybe i don't know if it's uh, it's a good idea or a bad idea yet about developing business in other countries but uh i think it's a good idea um And so from there I actually in my uh in my university years I uh went over to China to basically teach a bit of English and the plan was to stay for 6 months and I ended up staying for 7 years. Um and started a few businesses out there. One from southern China was a textile export business, uh which was neat. I thought I'd be selling clothes to North America, but I ended up finding markets in the Middle East. And then another one was launched out of Beijing, which was like an MLS real estate system. that uh could help the consumer search all the various websites where real estate was being listed in the country. And on that side, we ended up actually uh finding a big issue uh that the brokerages were having. So instead of becoming, you know, being a direct to consumer brand, we ended up being B2B and we used our technology to search out agents online who looked like they were doing things illegitimately, uh as in listing homes without uh splitting commission with the parent corporation. So the brokerages had estimated about 30% of the deals were being done under the table they were trying to record them with video cameras to catch them uh it didn't really work a guys on a cell phone so we used our information to search the internet to find out these guys and then we created lists of them and then sold them back to the parent corps so that was my experience in my early 20s in the, in China and Asia and then uh back to Canada um where I proceeded to do an MBA uh and kind of flow into what I'm doing today So what was the um initial idea behind setting up your current venture as a direct? Yeah, so I was doing a postgrad uh and I was sitting in a dentist's office. Mm-hmm. Um there was a woman in the chair next to me um uh, speaking to the dentist in the other room about whether or not he had financing available for the dental work she was getting done. And essentially the the dentist said no, I don't have anything. And so I sat there thinking like couldn't we create a financing system that that woman could bring with her wherever she went? And then I put on my aggregator hat, you know, from the experience I had in aggregation in China and said, "Well, wouldn't it be neat if she could bring the financing with her, but she could have multiple lenders compete in real time for her business?" So she could go up to any payment terminal, search lender offers, find a loan that she wants, and then process that transaction in real time at the terminal. So that was kind of the the early design for the business. Obviously, we've we've molded and and moved in some other directions, but uh uh definitely still a core component of who we are today. so what all additional services or products you have uh, apart from uh, the one you mentioned 
Yeah. <clears throat> so initially, we thought consumer finance was interesting. Um, we had a bit of a challenge getting lenders to sign up to integrate uh, to a costly system when we didn't really have merchants that were driving traffic. And then on the other side, we couldn't get merchants unless we had a bunch of lenders set up that you know could convert. So we were stuck between a bit of a rock and a hard place. And so we decided to go directly after consumers first. So we went online to Google and we started doing advertising to drive to drive value, uh, volume, sorry, to these uh, these lenders. Um, we found out pretty quick that the acquisition, uh, you know, was actually quite expensive for these lenders. Uh, we were looking at upwards of $6 per click. Uh, now it's even higher. I think it's somewhere around eight. But in that environment, many of the lenders could not uh, acquire at a, um, at a profitable place. Uh, so essentially, you know, many of them couldn't compete. And the ones that were competing mm-hmm. were spending a lot of money on acquisition and you know, it was kind of just making ends meet. It wasn't really delivering a very uh, valuable lead in, you know, a way that you can be quite profitable. So, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> um, yeah, so so we found that that's an issue. And so we said, okay, well, let's create a multi-lender ecosystem and plug it into partners that want to drive val- volume on a revenue share basis. So we create this multi-lender ecosystem. We, we understand that there's an acquisition problem and many of you guys can't acquire affordably. So integrate into our system, and then we'll bring this multi-lender ecosystem to any company that wants to offer it to their user base. And then we'll have them drive traffic through the infrastructure on a rev share basis. So they refer into us. We use our magic and you know our, our system for directing to the most appropriate lender. They then proceed into mm-hmm. the lender. When they convert with the lender, then there's a commission generated from them when the loan is funded. And then we share that commission upstream. Uh, with the with the uh, uh, the referral source. So today, I mean, we're not just point of sale, right? We power rate comparison websites. You know, we do some e-commerce. There's some budgeting apps. There's really, uh, you know, international remittance is another area that we're into. Really, we just broadened the opportunity. We we power uh, multi-lender solutions for banks that are declining candidates, so they can refer into our infrastructure and help them acquire financing through another provider. So really just bringing this multi-lender ecosystem anywhere that there's volume that would be interested in accessing personal loans, we have them refer through the infrastructure, uh, we refer to the lender, we get a commission, and we share out the chain. So both the lender and ourselves actually acquire quite affordably and build a very big uh, database of consumers uh, without having to spend the big money you know, that many of these rate aggregators are spending. You know, Some of the biggest guys, you know, we're, we're talking tens of millions uh, to just acquire their customer before they can do anything with them. So is there also a sort of a value-added service in terms of just passing on to the lead, providing verification, or doing add-on services on top of it? So my commitment to the lender is if I send you a lead that you can't convert, that's my fault. I'm not doing my job. I need to ensure that 80% of the traffic that's coming to your website will convert. Um, so really it's about creating a cost-effective acquisition channel for the lender. So they can rely on our volume, that it's actually going to suit their need, and it's not going to be a lot of wasted dollars on adjudication. So that's one big thing, right? I think the other side, you know, that we have, um, yeah, like being able to filter accordingly, right? So yeah, one is filtering appropriately. The other is the marketing engine that we have. So when a lead comes into our infrastructure, we've got email marketing, SMS marketing, uh, we've got a call center that can support the candidates as they come through the door. And we really spend a lot of time helping these people improve their credit scores. So, you know, a lot of the folks we see coming through our door are ineligible for a loan through a bank, and many of them don't have a credit score. So 
we help them establish a credit presence and then we move them from higher interest lenders to lower interest lenders. So there's value for the consumer because we're improving them versus a direct lender relationship that may want to keep them on loan. There's value for the mm-hmm. lender, you know, essentially that they're acquiring really affordable way. And then on the other side, the referral source is maximizing their revenue on the lead as we're optimizing in between and ensuring that we're getting dollars for those candidates that come through. And many of them may not be eligible for personal loans, so we may refer them to debt consolidation or credit improvement programs, right? But we monetize them in a different way, and then we graduate them up. And every time we convert them with another product, we get a commission from that as well. Got it. And how difficult or easy is it when you move from one territory to territory? I mean, uh, currently um, um, you're operating in uh, Canada and also you're trying in India. So how easy or difficult it is? Because I can imagine the regulatory, the rules, regulation, everything sort of differs. And so if you can share us some insight into this particular perspective. Yes. Yeah, of course. So um, we're not a, we're not a lender, so we don't need a lending license. We don't take on any, any balance sheet risk, right? We're, we're purely infrastructure that connects the consumer with the lender. The lenders that we work with take on the risk. The lenders tend to have to have uh, licensing in order to um, service the customer with a personal loan. But for us, it's a little bit different oversight, right? In Canada, there's a few... Um, a few uh, different um, bodies that may regulate us, but there's no specific um, oversight or, you know, uh, um, company or sorry, that we need to actually join into, right? So we're not actually, you know, entirely regulated. Uh, In India, it's a little more regulated, but again, you know, we're trying to speak, you know, keep kind of close to the, the regulators themselves, right? And ensuring, you know, as our business grows, that we're actually following along the lines that are legal. So um, I guess what I would say is that we're a little bit nascent in what we do. And because we don't take on the credit list risk, there's really not Mm. the uh, same type of oversight that you would get if you were an NBFC or a personal lender in India, or if you were the same here in Canada. Uh, so what what what's your current plan in terms of um, you want to expand more or what how, how do you see or where do you see the growth coming in? Yeah, yeah. So, OK, so geez, about 18 months ago, um, we joined an accelerator uh, in Toronto. and We kind of tore apart our business and we looked at what do we want to do and how do we want to grow? And, you know, Canada has been a good market for us. We're really well established. We power uh, many different rate comparison engines in the country. Um, I think we've got somewhere around 60 different relationships that drive traffic to us. Um, so we've done well here. But, you know, in, in terms of growth, right, can we go 4x, 5x? Yes. Can we go 100x? No. The market just isn't big enough. Right? So we, we really kind of went back to core principles of who are we? Who are we? So... What happens here in Canada? Well, we get a lot of subprime candidates who come through our door. I would say about 90% of the traffic is subprime. They're people who cannot get loans from a bank. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of the fallback on that end. You know, Many of the prime candidates will go to their bank first because there's a very good relationship with them here in Canada. There's really five big banks mm-hmm. and they're very entrenched. Um, So they come to us and what they're doing essentially is getting a personal loan, but they're also establishing a credit history. And we're also then creating a relationship with that individual um, through establishing a credit history where they can trust us to recommend other financial products and services throughout their lives. So if we looked at it that way, we said, okay, well, where to next? Where else is there in the world that there's issues where people don't have credit scores? 
And can we use this system as a, as a method really to help these people gain financial independence and really end up becoming um, lendable, right? Mm. Um, so we, we took a peek and we, we engaged Mars in Toronto, which is a market research company to kind of look around uh, the world for us. And, you know, they came back with what we had already, you know, thought up front. They, they thought that India and Brazil were kind of the two key markets for us. If you look at India, 92% of the population is underbanked. That, that means only 8% are formally banked, right? So there's a huge chunk of consumers who are underbanked. And then there's a very large proportion of those that are unbanked as well. So a huge proportion of consumers that really don't have a credit score. Uh, another unique thing that happened in India is it went through a period of demonetization. And what that meant is they had to get rid of a bunch of fraudulent currency. So in order to do that, you ended up having to go uh, to the bank, verify your currency, uh, and, and open an account, right? You know, or, or so that was the journey that was proposed. So what happened is 600 million people got a bank account in about six and a half years. So there's a huge proportion of people who've got a bank account, and then there's a huge proportion of those folks that the banks can't do anything with. So there's just an account. So that's one thing. And you look at the other side competitively, right? There's Paytm, who's in market, who's a digital wallet. And they're competing mm. directly with the banks. And you can use Paytm to pay for everything. The banks just aren't there, right? Paytm is now also seeking to get deposits. So they're looking to become a challenger bank. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to speak for them. This is just, I guess, my, my thought on, on what they're doing here in the future. But the banks are in a little bit threat. So, you know, I flew out there last March, I guess a year ago this past March, and, you know, ended up speaking to some banks and talking about our system. And, you know, we, we came up with some, some interesting things. So we have a bank decline solution or, you know, a, a product here in Canada that basically helps banks monetize declines and then turn them into customers. So what happens is somebody goes to the bank, the bank says, I can't lend you. We refer the lead into our infrastructure. They get approved by some other creative adjudicator, right? Some other lender that's doing stuff really interesting that, you know, traditional banks won't do or are unable to evaluate. They get a loan over there. And if they do 18 months of on-time payments, the bank will buy back that loan on the other end. So essentially the bank says, no, I can't help you today. But if you go over here and you establish a credit history, I'll help you on the other side. And I'll give you a rate at five and a half percent, right? So not... Market to everybody. If they're ineligible, put them through the system. On the other side, convert them into customers you can do business with. So we had these conversations with some big Indian banks, and there was a lot of interest, a lot of interest, especially when you have these competitive dynamics going on through these digi wallets like Paytm, and you've got all these accounts that the banks really aren't doing anything with. It's kind of like the perfect storm, right? What is the path through to be able to conduct business with these guys? And so we have a system that allows them to establish themselves, and then on the other side, cross-market other products and services of the bank, try to move them to being banked. So, so it kind of fit our, our, I guess, our ethos when we, when we were looking at it this way. And, and there were some other, you know, very unique and interesting things about India, right? Like one partner that we're working with, um, the, the company's name is AGS. They're a merchant services provider, right? So they have terminal infrastructure, um, you know, uh, acquiring services. So we're working with them to launch a solution into 120,000 payment terminals across India. Again, hooking our solution up where there's volume. One, the bank declines. Lots of people there. Market to everybody. You're ineligible. Come to this. Like a real big opportunity to get a lot of traffic through the, through the pipes, right? Other solution with, uh, with um, point of sale. 
Well, plug in the AGS and get into 120,000 payment terminals and provide value, right? We're providing value to the bank. So this, this other product is multi-lender point-of-sale finance, which allows the merchant to sell more stuff, right? So essentially, the merchant can now uh, you know, offer a loan to a wider scope of people than he may have been able to with one lender. Uh, it's fully integrated into the payment terminal through relationship with AGS, so he can light it up right away. Um, you know, and then on the other end, uh, we treat him as an affiliate, right? So what we do is we give him a commission when the loan gets funded. So the guy sells more stuff, is able to offer loans to more people, and then he gets an ancillary revenue line from funding that loan. So it works really well, right? It's, it's, uh, it's quite neat. And then, you know, on behind this, we're going to tag that lead to the merchant for a period of time. And any other financial product or service we sell that individual, we're going to revenue share with them on that too. So creating a lot of value for the merchant in this process. But bringing them in through the system, hooking them onto subprime lenders that are really subprime or, or lenders that deal with, you know, no score lenders, um, mm. creating a credit track, and then becoming a financial institution that deals with these customers for the rest of their lives. So the point of sale is an intake valve, right? So there's, there's, there's just many intake valves that we kind of pull, plug into, and then we capture flow. And then, you know, really... Uh, the goal and kind of our ethos as we looked at it in Canada is elevating these people so that they can essentially become more financially independent. So it kind of fit our model, right? And if we look at India, there was just a, a perfect storm there. Uh, same sort of situation in Brazil, you know, is the other area that we're expanding into, right? So, so it's just, I think that versus the US where there's a lot of people who have very entrenched relationship with banks and many more who are subprime versus underbanked or unbanked really led us to looking at some of these developing markets as our next next uh, next hill to climb. Uh, so Adam, how does it work in um, what sort of, I, I'm sure you must have faced a lot of challenges if you can shed some light in terms of uh, in this entire process, uh, typically what happens, uh, for example, is uh, the subprime uh, lenders or the other side of it, uh, are the default rates high or what are typical challenges you face uh, in such scenarios? So for us, we're not a lender, right? We don't right. take on any credit risk. We're not, we're not exposed that way. We're infrastructure. And we leave the adjudication up to the lenders. Our job is to create a very thick system of lenders so we can approve the most people. So we spend our time trying to find lenders that can open up certain areas of the market and better service, right? So it's not so much about having every lender competing at the same spot. It's more about having a group of a wide network of lenders that can cover a vast swath of consumer base, right? So in India for us, a lot of these lenders are dealing with new to credit, NTC, right? So less subprime, more people who don't have anything established. And these lenders do things creatively, right? So some will look at, um, uh, they'll scrape data from your phone. Some will have uh, cell phone data or other types of things that, you know, shows your payments there. Others will go so far as have you play a game. And based on the way you actually answer questions in this game, they'll then issue some microloans to you to establish trust and then move on to work with you on a, on a higher end. So these guys all have risk and, you know, some of them are not going to succeed. It's just how it is, mm. right? Every, and they say anybody can lend. It's getting the money collected. That's the issue, right? And I think, <laughs> right, we've, we've already seen, you know, uh, uh, a scenario in India where many of these guys, they, they flunked out. They couldn't do it. Right. There's already mm -hmm. been a shakeout. Um, 
So, so we're always looking for new and creative lenders. We're open to bring them into the system. Uh, obviously, we trial them before we light them up full time. And, you know, we, we just continue to shift around. If some guy doesn't, you know, succeed at what he's doing, we try to backfill it with somebody else. And, uh, you know, it's just not our business. The underwriting isn't our business. So that's kind of why we stay out of it and, and allow them to kind of uh, judge and assess. Got it. And so who do you typically compete with? Let's say, let's pick India or Canada. Do you have competitors or how does it work? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, you would think that we compete directly with rate comparison websites, but we actually partner in power solutions for these guys. You know, mm. some bigger companies that are giving free credit scores here in Canada, uh, you know, which is the traditional bank bazaar um, solution that's available in India. We powered their personal lending infrastructure. So instead of competing, we've joined in and we said, okay, let us do this for you and drive more revenue because we can take your traffic and the traffic of everybody else, throw it through our optimization engine, convert with a high degree uh, in terms of the, the application to conversion ratio and drive more revenue for you than you likely could do with your limited traffic. Uh, so we have more agility and we have more data to allow us to direct appropriately. And we're constantly busy on, you know, adding new lenders into the infrastructure. So we actually don't compete directly with rate comparison engines. Our business is different, right? So these guys are, are product marketing engines, right? So you would go to there, get your free credit score, and then you'd look at other financial products or services. We're more of a credit establishment agency, right? So come through the doors, we'll establish you on a product. And then we'll move you towards, uh, you know, some other uh, types of products as you become more financially independent. So the, the, the path is different, you know, and, uh, you know, so as far as credit establishment goes, there's nobody really doing it on the personal loan front. Like we, we've kind of got a unique and interesting twist where we touch that that vertical. And I mean, it's neat because personal loans are really kind of a, a, something that many people need. Uh, that may be easier to access than other types of credit cards or other things, right? And there's lots of lenders out there doing really creative stuff on the personal loan front. So we, we just think it's a really neat acquisition channel. And again, we can provide valued service as you come through, which, I mean, we think is blockbuster. But on the other side, it's, it's, it's bringing you up, it's elevating you. So no, you know, if you, look at, uh, if you look at India, Bank Bazaar is one of the ones that, again, free scores, you know, India Lens would be another one, right? There, there's a bunch of these guys that are doing this. And if we go all the way to the other side, you know, like, uh, you know, point of sale consumer finance, obviously there's many people doing that too, but there's nobody that's really got a very thick network of lenders that can plug in and provide ancillary revenue post based on other products being marketed. So very unique value add. Same thing to the bank, right? So the bank's declining, you know, consumers into the infrastructure. That's unique and different. I mean, we haven't run into anybody in India that's doing it. Um, so yeah, I, I think, you know, there's guys out there that we would compete with, but you know, in many instances, we, we just as well partner with them to help them, you know, do their jobs better or, you know, assist their customers to better convert, um, versus compete directly on a head to head basis. Wow. And how, how do you sort of, um, compare your current experience versus when you started, um, when you were around 19, the textile export business, what excites you most? Your current business or that particular time? So I'm going back a little back in time just to understand. Uh, you, have, uh, you have a business in technology, but you started an export business also. So what has been your experience or learnings, if you want to share some? 
So, so interesting. I, I run a program here uh, in our hometown with the university. Uh, we call it Founders Anonymous. And we run it every two weeks. And uh, what happens is we, we go in and only founders from the startup accelerator who are participating in that accelerator at the time can join. Nobody else, only founders. None of their employees, you know, nobody, right? Nobody even from the accelerator itself. So what it is, is it's kind of like an open self-help group for founders. And you can sit and be very honest and open about what you're experiencing, right? So it's, it's actually a lot of fun to run it. And it's very helpful to me, right? When I'm dealing with these guys too, there's a lot of insight. And I think people get really vulnerable. But the one thing that I've taken out of this, you know, and, you know, is, you know, entrepreneurs... I don't know if they know where they're going to land, right? I think many entrepreneurs are people who are looking for an opportunity, right? The fact that I went into textile exporting wasn't because I dreamt of textile exporting. It was because I saw an opportunity in China while I was there that may be monetizable that would be unique and interesting, right? So I had fun. I, start, I guess another side of me as an entrepreneur is I get excited by doing this stuff. Many other people, it's terrifying. They don't want to do it. They want to focus on their career and build a career and do all this. That's great. I mean, for me, I think the tumultuous uh, journey is part of the fun. I don't know if I'm crazy or not, but I enjoy it. Um, <laughs> and I'm finding the same thing from, you know, from the guys that I work with at the school, right? Like, it, it's just a different, a different way, right? And so these people are into, you know, consumer goods or whatever. And it's not like they, at the same thing, got, you know, a grade eight and said, I want to start selling chips. You know, they saw something in the market and they went for it. And so there, there I am, textile export, uh, MLS system in Beijing, sitting in this dentist's office and seeing something. Like, again, was I thinking, you know, even before that day about running a multi-lender ecosystem that would establish banking for, you know, 80% of the world? No. No, I just mm. saw something from next door in the other room while she was talking to the dentist. And from there, it built. Uh, so, as a founder, as an entrepreneur, we have to keep eyes, ears and eyes open always. <laughs> I think we do. We all, I, I don't even know if it, it, it... So for me, it's more innate. Like, I don't, I don't mm -hmm. think it's, it's something that I need to try to pay attention to. I just, mm. when I see something, I think I just understand that, wow, there's a business there. You know, there's something that can be done. And then my mind can place these things, right? But, you know, for me, that's what I do, right? Our chief operating officer on the other side, he's an executor, like to the nth degree. He's perfect for me, right? I can have big vision and idea and doing all this stuff. And then him on the other side can really help us execute and get stuff done. So, so I think, you know, yeah, yeah. Who knows, right? Who knows what you're going to see, <laughs> right? There could be True. something there or, or, or not. And I think the other thing that's interesting, you know, really what entrepreneurs need to focus on is, you know, once you've, once you've looked at this, is it still something, you know, is it a viable business? Right. And if it isn't pivot, right. So that, hmm. that, that's something right. Pivot. How do you, how do you change this into something, you know, how do you evolve it into something that becomes profitable? And, you know, that's just, you know, I guess trying to stay out of being married to an idea itself. And being more open to, you know, kind of tapping into what opportunity exists. So anyways, I, I rambled a little bit there and I, I quickly got into the stuff on my my, uh, my chief operating officer. But uh, I think just another piece, just to close on that, that we take from this uh, Founders Anonymous, mm -hmm. Anonymous group is, you know, I think, you know, we need to understand what we're good at as founders. 
or really as anybody in business, right? Understand what we're good at and what we like to do and understand what we're not good at and we don't like to do. And, you know, do what we like to do and, and you know, kind of push towards what we're good at and the stuff that we're not, bring in other people to help support that. So I know that was an unsolicited answer, but it, it's just, I, I think kind of popped into my mind as I'm, I'm popping into this Founders Anonymous group in, uh, in just about uh, 45 minutes or so. So anywho, oh. I'm going to stop talking. You're up, man. What's up? <laughs> You mentioned, uh, Adam, you mentioned about profitability. So it's refreshing to hear. <laughs> so how yeah. do you see the current uh, market and current uh, capitalists available for very cheap? And the valuations are reaching new heights for sure. So uh, how do you look at the current market uh, in terms of cheap capital availability, uh, higher valuations? But for most of them, uh, if you look some, at some try trends or statistics in states or somewhere else. I mean, profitability is a little far away uh, for different different sets of organization in different segments. So how do you see the market as a whole currently? So, so interesting. So we, I, I guess I wanted to start this company out in a way where we were revenue positive and scaling and building before we went to market to fundraise. Hmm. Um, so we didn't raise much money and now we're in the process of doing, doing so. Um, but uh, um, I would say one of the things I learned is that if you want to get a, a high valuation, don't make much money, <laughs> which is a little bit <laughs> counterproductive, right? But once you start yeah. making too much money, everybody wants to tie your valuation to EBITDA and not the, you know, not the multiple factor or whatever, right? So you fall into this trap of, okay, now I'm valued based on my revenue. And, you know, there's a journey between that point. Right. So upfront raising money with very little or no revenue is one journey. Right. Another side is if you're in between, you're kind of a little bit screwed because you're you're on revenue, but you're, you know, not so much as the pre guy with the idea and not so much as the EBITDA really driving value. And I mean, now we've gotten to the other side where we're driving enough traffic and enough revenue and all that stuff that we can go out and you know raise a very significant amount. Right. But anywho, so I guess just something as a as a founder, you got to think about. Right. When you're mm -hmm. when you're starting your company and it seems so counterintuitive, like it really does. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so that it does. Right. And so so on the other side, I think as far as availability capital in the market, um, I mean, it's been really interesting to see this evolve over the past year. Right. I think there was a lot of retrenching and what the heck is going to happen last May. You know, what's mm -hmm. the journey? What's the journey? And now we're seeing these wickedly massive valuations of fintechs. Right. You know. And, you know, we're now looking at 20x multiple of revenue kind of valuations and such in fintech. So it's getting, uh, and, and not not just, you know, uh, not like gross, right? So, so that, yeah, there's some crazy valuations that are going on right now. And I mean, you know, we're, we're in the middle of it and trying to, you know, trying to find our way through. But I think another big piece here is maybe don't take the best offer. Try to take the best fit. You know, hmm. uh, you know, you're going to be taking these people onto your board. So, you know, uh, there's more than just raising a large amount. You really got to look deeper at some of the softer elements of, you know, how is this going to work post investment? And what is this going to do to me and my board? Um, am I going to be crippled? Right. So. So anyways, it, it, you know, there's there's hmm. multiple layers there. But um, yeah, I, I mean, it's exciting for us. It's a good good time to be going to fundraise. So you have already started? 
Yes, we have. Yeah. So we're we're neck deep now. So hoping to close the round, uh, hopefully by the end of July or early August of this year. And this will be your first round. So we raised little money up front. You know, it wasn't a lot. Um, mm -hmm. This will be the first round. We're looking to raise about six million. Um, mm -hmm. But we've got pretty sustainable revenue, and you know, we've got a lot of users in our DB. It's, I mean, the business is already fairly mature in Canada. And the opportunities that we signed for in India, uh, hopefully, are going to put us at uh, more of a Series A uh, space versus a, a seed. Got it. Uh, that's great, Adam. I mean, uh, interesting time. I'm, and I'm hopefully looking forward to you uh, for successfully raising and reading you more about in the news. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> hopefully, there's good news. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's crazy um, to be on the other side where, you know, you're now like for so long we were very sustainable in terms of growth, right? Like revenue would support growth, revenue would support growth. And now we've really started turning up the volume on the on the growth into India, new tech design, all that other stuff. So I'm I'm feeling the the pain of some of my other compatriots that uh you know, uh, spend so much time building and growing and burning like crazy, right? So Anyways, it's a new experience for me on this side to be to be burning this way, but I, I think I have more sympathy towards some founders uh, who are really in the early throes spending a lot of money. So what was the trigger for you for uh, raising capital? Um... So I think at this point, you're really trying to push the global vision. You know, mm -hmm. in Canada, we've done well, we're growing. Uh, the world is really full of opportunity. Personal lending is a really interesting realm to help establish a credit score. Um, you know, we've got some contracts signed. We've got stuff integrated with lenders in India. I mean, we're formally incorporated. We've got a head of India, a group or team on the ground there now. Like we've, we're to a point where you know we're we're ready to really start scaling in in India. Um, same sort of thing is going on in Brazil. It's a little bit behind India, but, you know, spending a lot of time talking to partners that are willing to kind of integrate with us. So, you know, that process has to evolve where we incorporate there, we get a team on the ground. So we're in a place where I think we're, we're inflection, like really at an inflection point. So the money coming in now could really help us scale this international growth. Um, hence, you know, we're, we're here at the stage looking to, looking to grab some money to do so. And what what sort of um, learnings you had doing business in India or uh, or in Brazil in compared to Canada? I think in India, you know, in the early days were, you know, 13, 14 months ago when I went the first time, um, you know, somebody told me that it's going to be a slow go. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, it's just going to be a slow go. I get it. But I didn't expect it to be such a slow go. It's a it's a slow go, man. And you know, it's a it, a lot of different meetings trying to get stuff lined up, and you know, it's been a bit of a journey, right? The incorporation of the company took longer than expected, and you know, I think the other side is COVID now has thrown a real wrench in things over there, and you know, we're trying to just help our employees to be safe and and you know, um, just take care of their families, right? So th there's there's obviously um, you know an impact of COVID, but. But it's, it's a journey. And I think the other thing that I've learned is that you've got to hire great people, right? And those great mm. people are not going to be cheap, right? You don't think that you're going into India to get somebody on a really, you know, limited salary to help you run your business or scale it. Like you might be able to do that. But in a lot of circumstances, these people may be even more well-paid than they are here in Canada. Uh, mm -hmm. So 
so that was a bit of a learning learning curve there too and you know um you know we've got some great people for with us now which is which is wonderful right so you know the team is there you know we're we're in a we're in a really good spot so you know it's it's really about oh sorry um yeah yeah it's really it's really about i think in in the end here it's about time uh you know for the team to just kind of uh really hone in on biz dev and and signing of the relationship so so yeah it's 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 been a long journey there's been a there's been you know time put in multiple trips to india right i was there in march i was there in november and i was just there in uh this past april right the beginning of april um i think you need to be on the ground as well right like i think some companies come in think that they can command it from outside india you know working their hours with nobody on the ground and i i feel that that's really difficult and I think your team needs to be really well connected as well. <clears throat> you know, you want to have people who are, who have relationships in the industry you're in because relationships are important. Um, one benefit I think of t- today versus, uh, you know, maybe even a year and a half ago is that I think mm-hmm. India has become much more accepting of non-in-person meetings. Well, they've had to because of COVID. So it's made it that a little true. easier for us to mm-hmm. to be able to scale through using Zoom. I think, you know, a year and a half ago, could we have done the same thing? No, it probably would have taken a lot more time on the ground in India, a lot more going from place to place, meeting with prospective partners, shaking hands, seeing faces. So we've kind of, as a foreign company, we benefited from that a bit, uh, you know, which has been able to help us propel things uh, you know, faster <laughs> than having to drive around Bangalore, you know, and, and hit, you know, three meetings in a day while you're just crammed in the back of a taxi going from place to place, right? Three meetings in a day in Bangalore? I know I'm crazy, man. <laughs> is, is it even humanly possible? Like, oh my God. So you're the first person me, I'm hearing. Three meetings me. in a day in Bangalore. Oh my God. People told me I was crazy. They said, what are you doing? You're crazy. You're not going to be able to do that. Who are you, right? And we made yes. it, man. Yeah, I had a driver. He took me from the airport and we did it. And we, yeah. Oh my Louise. God. Yeah, dirt roads and everything. You know what a journey. Yeah. Bangalore That's traffic funny. is the craziest. I mean, you cannot. You will be lucky if you can get done with one meeting. <laughs> Three. Well, it's totally no crazy. Way. I know. I know, man. I think yeah. even even when I told the driver what was going on, he looked at me with this baffled face. <laughs> Who are you, man? Yeah. <laughs> But that's, I mean, that's, that's the way business is typically conducted. It's face-to-face and it takes time and there's yes. many face-to-face meetings. So, so yeah, COVID has made it a little bit easier in that regard. But, you know, all in all, I'm so excited for India. And I think just, just on a general note, uh, I mm-hmm. think now is India's time on the global stage. I really do. You know, when I was in, when I was in China and, you know, Beijing doing my thing, I would spend a lot of time meeting with expats and people who are local who are doing very interesting things. And, you know, now at this point, you know, when I'm there in India, it's the same feeling. There's this vibration, you know, about the future of India and, you know, this all this push for technology improvement and human advancement and being better to our, our, our national community, right? Regardless of what caste or, or area you come from. So, so it's really exciting, I think, to be in India now. Uh, and I'm, you know, like it's a, as far as the opportunity goes, it's, it's an absolutely staggering opportunity. So I'm, I'm looking forward to just, you know, digging in and, and being part of the journey. I really am. Uh, that's good to hear. Uh, and definitely, I think uh, the, the aspect which you touch upon 
the meetings uh, happening digitally uh, yes definitely people are much more acceptable now and they understand uh, business needs to go on and decision needs to be taken online so yeah um, uh, that is definitely in place and adam what has been the apart from uh, uh, in the current pandemic what has been the impact on your business uh, you have seen increase in volume or um, more transactions are happening what has been the impact of covid yeah so we've seen an increase in demand uh but yet a decrease in conversions uh so it's it's an interesting time so more people are looking mm-hmm. for loans especially you know when covid hit the first time Right. In mm-hmm. the first wave here in Canada, it, it was a lot of folks looking for loans, but very few lenders that were lending. They didn't know what to expect. Now, through the summer, I think they got a little more comfortable with what's going on. And, you know, they opened up again and started converting towards the end of the year uh, at the same pace, um, if not even more so than they were the previous year. So, you know, the end of the year, we saw some very good growth last year, um, you know, kind of moving into the late winter Um and then we, I, you know, again, went through some other waves that had caused, has caused ripples. And it's been interesting. Like, these ripples are, are, are a little different. Like, we see that, you know, many people are actually, they've saved money through the pandemic. So they're not mm-hmm. looking as much for loans. And actually, a lot of them are also paying off their loans uh, with the money they've saved. You know, which is a nice thing to see. I mean, to, to be honest, right? It's good to see that people are saving money and, you know, they're getting out of debt. Um, so yeah, it's it's been it's been interesting, right? I think each wave has been a little bit different. First wave, very scary. What are we going to do? So closed off. Many lenders stopped taking leads whatsoever because they didn't know what the default rates would be. Blah blah blah. Then we went through to the fall where there was good demand and good supply, and then you know hitting some other bumps on the other side. Now there's people with money in the pockets who don't need as much, uh, and you know they're paying off loans and swaths from our lenders. So um, yeah, it's it's been interesting each wave. So. Uh, who knows what's to come next? I, I, I mean, I think our volume continues to grow as we start to make uh, more inroads. Um, you know, there's some really neat things on the horizon for us here in Canada. Um, you know, we've got our POS system, the one that we're implementing in India, launching here as well in, in fall, right? So you know, we're going to be finally getting into some payment terminals in Canada and being able to generate traffic there. Uh, you know, and, and uh, we've implemented a new system, like every partner we have can now host their entire um, platform on their website. So we have a lot of referral sources that send the traffic to our site and they go through an application form where there's a lot of consumer attrition. People will leave when they land on a blank form. In the new setup, our forms and everything exist on the website of the referral source and they can populate data into that based on the consumer data they have. So um, so it really tightens up our, our, I guess, our session to converted application, um, you know, uh, uh, ratio. So anyways, lots, lots on the horizon. I, I, you know, India is a big, big focus of us right now. And, you know, same sort of thing going on in Brazil as we push out. The opportunity is massive. Uh, I think it's really about, you know, raising some money or trying to focus a little more on getting the core teams, uh, you know, the support they need to be able to scale in the, in the way the, the market demands. Great. Wonderful, Adam. Uh, uh, I really enjoyed, you know, all the this new refreshing perspective and uh, the kind of business you are in. Uh, really fascinating. Uh, looking at time, we are running. I think uh, I will not hold you back 
for your next meeting but to wrap it up and uh, i wanted to ask you my final and favorite question um looking back uh, 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 your career right um, or for example let's take as a direct um, from your experience till now running the business uh, what has been your learning you know if you were to start again from scratch uh, what would you have done differently really interesting question um okay so i i think uh a few things maybe i would have uh, maybe i would have raised money earlier maybe i don't mm-hmm. know if it was the right call or not <laughs> we'll see because it could have been a very different journey i think in not raising money so early we learned to be very frugal and to mm-hmm. invest the reinvest the money wisely um you know so that's good we could we could scale but it found you know like supporting uh accounts receivable with personal accounts and things like that right like a, a really scrappy uh you know new business kind of launch versus having a a cushion of money to kind of delay on right so different journey different experience maybe we wouldn't be anywhere close to where we are today had we raised money and spent a bunch of it on stuff that we would have just been a waste right so um i guess hindsight is 2020 but Maybe it's not 2020 in this instance. Um, so, so uh, on the on the other end, uh, I think it's about personnel, right? It's really about hiring the right people, you know. And it's about understanding yourself as a founder. Like I said, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? Focus on your strengths. Find folks who can cover off your weaknesses, so you can create a more fulsome team that can execute more efficiently. You know, I think in the early days, we hired people more based on merit and, you know, their achievements and less based on team dynamics and how we fit with one another. So Mm. I think my suggestion would be spend a lot of time on hiring, you know, bring those people in for multiple meetings with multiple people throughout the organization. Ensure that everybody's on the same page, you know, and then, you know, bring them in. But the other side is after you bring them in, if they're not fitting, you've got to fire quick. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and, and it's painful because you spend a lot of time in the hiring process and you're, you know, you're through this whole thing. You've got somebody on the other side. Um, but letting them go is just because they don't fit is, uh, is a, I guess it, it, it's not a bad thing. It really isn't, you know, pull the bandit off, rip off the scab. And, you know, it doesn't mean they're not good at what they do or you're not good at what you do. It just means that it's not a good fit with the team, you know, um, so in the very early days, we had challenges with that. I, I would say we're much better at it, you know, with our growth in India and the stuff that's going on overseas. And the team we have today functions like a well-oiled machine. But, um, you know, definitely, definitely picking up the right people to help support your growth is important. So I think that's where I would where I would have come at it a little differently. Sure. Um, um, I think I completely agree agree with you on this point. Uh, I've seen a lot of companies, a lot of founders struggle in the initial days, for sure. And I mean, uh, right, the point you mentioned to play on your strength and uh, for weakness, cover cover your weakness. So I think if I can rephrase uh, in terms of um, delegation, right? Uh, so finding uh, the right people, uh, who can do activities uh, which you're not good at, et cetera, et cetera. And then they can manage that particular piece. I mean, I have seen, um, maybe you can share, share with your experience um, uh, how delegation uh, um, has worked for you. I mean, was it easy for you to give up control in the initial days or uh, how did it sort of transformed uh, uh, 
giving activities, uh, critical activities to key people. Yeah, I, I think in the early days, for sure, it's more difficult to do that. Absolutely. You know, because in early founder days, it's really you carrying all the batons. Yes. Wearing everything, <laughs> right? And you're doing the stuff you don't like to do because you got to do it. You can't support it, right? So you're doing it. And, you know, um, uh, yeah, so so I think over time, we, I spent, we spent more time trying to educate the core leadership team in, in you know, kind of uh, different methodologies to understand exactly what you are good at and what you aren't, right? So there, there's uh, Myers-Briggs that you can use. There's some other tools that we've used that we've all kind of gone through. And you do it independently, and then you come together as a team to discuss kind of where you fall. Right. And and then you you chat uh, openly about it. And, you know, it, it, if there's nobody there that can help cover off some area of this, then you need to think about adding somebody else to the team that can cover it off. Or the other way that you look at this is you say, oh, geez, I never knew you weren't good at this. I, I mean, it seemed like you, you did a good job, but I never noticed you hated doing this. The other person mm -hmm. may very much love doing that. Right. So right. why not relinquish that to the other person so that they can take the baton? So, yeah, it's a difficult transition from founder wearing all hats to team and then growth. Uh, I think it's really about understanding yourself. So, I mean, do a Myers-Briggs on yourself, right? Or, or there's plenty of tests out there that you can do. So you get some vision into who you are and what you're good at. And I mean, it gives you a moment to sit and reflect. You probably already have indications and you know how you feel, you know, after you're doing certain things. But it can give you some clarity. At least you're, you're spending time to articulate that. And then, and then look at that and say, okay, as I grow my team, I really need to hire for these two things. I really do. Because I want to be able to execute and I'm, I hate doing this stuff. So let me focus on doing what I do and let's find the right guy for that. And there, then you, you come at it with a whole different expect, uh, perspective to hiring, right? Like it's not, mm. it's not you're hiring right. for so much the, um, the expertise you're hiring you know, for a person who can do this, but who's also very good at this other stuff that, you know, can create a more cohesive team that can function, uh, you know, more effectively. Right. Uh, wonderful, Adam. Thank you so much for your time. Really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, I learned a lot and I'm sure all the listeners will definitely enjoy this podcast for sure. That was great, Ashish. Thanks for having me. It was really good to connect. Thank you for listening. We will be back with another episode of Blitz Business. Stay tuned.